please take a seat. And we're going to read from the Bible now. And the reading is uh, Luke chapter 4, verses uh, 14 to 30, and can be found on page 1031 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks. Uh, Tim, do um, uh, keep Bibles open. We're going to take a look at this passage. It is the start of a new series um, in these early chapters um, of Luke's Gospel, which um, I've called uh, Jesus' Words, Powerful But Controversial. Um, We're going to look at the beginning of his um, earthly ministry uh, when he was uh, amongst uh, the people um, and spoke and uh, acted. And we're going to look at what he was doing. And because um, this this coming of uh, Jesus, this first entrance onto the scene, because the Lord is kind to me, it turned out at the start of the year that Netflix dropped a new series called Messiah. Um, it is a very interesting series, which uh, 
tackles the topic or portrays the topic of imagining a figure, a Messiah figure, arriving today in our world, in our sort of social media-driven world. What would it mean, what would it look like if a Messiah appeared uh, now? The thing that makes this series quite compelling and quite interesting, I'm going to show you a little bit in a moment, is that they've worked out that in at the heart of it, their line is, would he convert you or would he con you? If somebody appeared and appeared to be able to do the things of God, would they be genuine or are they dangerous? Are they someone to follow or someone to stay away from? Uh, you'll get the feel of it uh, here. He's come out of nowhere and we don't know who he is. What do we know about him? He's leading desperate people. So this is a cult? We don't know who he's associated with. He could be creating an army. Or he could be leading them to their death. What were you doing in Syria? Delivering a message. A message from home. My father. And who is your father? We've lost him. What do you mean? He just disappears. No one just disappears. We all witnessed a miracle. He saved my daughter's life. You need to see this. Bury it for as long as you can. He didn't just click his heels and end up here. He clearly had help. You get around Syria, Israel, Texas. It's the nature of my work. And what is that work? God's work. Who do you think he is? You didn't see what I saw. And if I did, would I be calling him the second coming? How far will this new movement spread? I'm going to find out everything about you. quite compelling stuff. Um, a couple of caveats. Um, aside from the fact that one writer pointed out that he's got incredibly good cheekbones. Um, I'm very careful about what I talk about at the front here. Um, and just to be aware, this isn't family viewing. Um, so check the, uh, the this kind of readout of what the content is, particularly if, the langu- if language is your issue. Um, that's the thing to, to watch out for. So um, it's, it's very compelling. Um, it, you see the concept, the idea that if a Messiah were to appear now, what would be the response? Would he be genuine? Would he be dangerous? Do you, do you follow him or do you, in this case, try and track him down? It's quite, um, it's quite a, a, a kind of compelling idea. Um, it illustrates something in a sense of where Luke begins this part of his gospel. Um, and I'll come back to uh, some thoughts about it at the, uh, uh, near the end. 
Luke, just to set the scene and to give you an overview, um, you might well know he is writing to a particular um, figure called Theophilus, and he is writing, Theophilus has clearly got some doubts and uncertainties, and he is writing to him to help him with those and to say, look, I'm I'm here to try and assure you, to, to help you think this through. I've looked at it. And to say it is okay to cross-examine this Messiah figure. It is okay to ask questions and to investigate him. And what he does in the first four chapters is he presents um, this picture of the Messiah, and they're they're familiar probably from Christmas kind of passages, if you've been with us over, over Christmas. And it's quite high, kind of lofty. It's almost abstract. Jesus is going to be this Messiah figure. Mary is told things like he will be the the son of God. He will reign on David's throne. There are going to be extraordinary things that he does. When Mary um, uh, utters the words of the Magnificat, she speaks about these extraordinary reversals that this Messiah figure is going to bring about. He's going to be a sort of extraordinary agent in history. Uh, John the Baptist then talks about him as being this incredible judge figure. Uh, with a a winnowing fork. And then just before our passage, he takes on Satan in the wilderness in a kind of cosmic battle. So he's portraying the Messiah at this kind of level, if you like. And then where we start today, we see him now walking amongst people like you and I, ordinary people. We see him walking on the earth and beginning his ministry and the reason I've called this, shall I just get rid of the, um, the Netflix ad? So that we, the reason I've called this um, uh, what I have, Jesus' powerful, Jesus' words, powerful but controversial, is because that is what Luke shows him to be in these early chapters. He is this figure who is powerful. Uh, by that I mean he's very attractive. Um, if you glance, if you've got Bibles open, if you just glance in chapter 5 at verse 14... There's a lovely phrase which Luke has where he says they came, they brought, they came to him to hear and be healed. To hear and be healed. The crowds were drawn to him. They found him compelling. They found him interesting. They wanted to know what he was doing. They wanted him to help them. But he was controversial by the uh, end uh, towards uh, the later chapters that we'll look at in this series over the next five or six weeks. They will accuse him of blasphemy and by the end of the passage that we have here, they will have accused him and dragged him out. He is powerful but controversial. And this is the introduction to this series, if you like. And I want to look at the claim that he's making early on, and then we'll look at these positive and negative responses and see why Luke is guiding us um, in this way. So it begins with that um, opening, when Jesus has returned in the power of the Spirit, um, he has gone back Uh, to his uh, home territory uh, in Galilee, and he is um, in his hometown in Nazareth. And Luke knows how to tell a story, and he knows how to lay out the drama of what happens. So you have to imagine for a moment that he has arrived. So somebody who's familiar, but that has arrived back having been away for a while. I, I use the analogy perhaps of someone we might know, perhaps a mission partner who has been away for a while uh, and then comes back. So somebody that you recognize and know a bit of, but when they come back, there's been a gap. And Jesus has returned, and we're told on the Sabbath day, he goes to the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stands up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah is given to him. So he unrolls it. And he begins to read... 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolls up the scroll, hands it back to somebody at the front, and waits. And everyone is looking at him. And he says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. You imagine what is going through people's minds at this point. He's saying, today in your hearing, this comes about. I suggest you might imagine if somebody you kind of knew but didn't know so well had come back and there was a sort of expectation uh, in the room, what is he going to say? What is he going to say about this? Notice he doesn't really say a great deal. He doesn't unpack. He doesn't seem to start to explain what each of these things might mean. He simply says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. These things spoken of by Isaiah, these things spoken of in the Old Testament are being brought about by me here and now. Now, I think we have to acknowledge at this point that particularly in the age that we are now, the age uh, where um, you get quite grandiose... uh, a statement on Twitter, whatever it might be, that claims like this are ones we might instinctively be sceptical of. We're in an age where you kind of, people make claims about things, and you think, is that right? And the age where somebody might embody um, hope uh, or, or, or possibility or potential, and you might look to somebody to do that, seem to be gone quite a far way away, even though it's only a few years ago. So if you're here this morning and you're kind of skeptical, and you think, well, <laughs> to be honest, what on earth do you think he's doing? You stand up and say, this has been fulfilled in your, in your hearing. What, what does that mean? You can understand that there might have been quite kind of mixed responses in the room as he says this. Somebody you kind of recognize. Imagine a mission partner returns and says something like that. Thinking, really? And I think we're meant to have that sort of tension because that's what Luke unpacks as we go through. That sort of sense of there are two responses to this and there are two ways that people will take it. The first is that um, to this claim that people are drawn to it. People are impressed. Um, They are amazed at his words. So um, verse 14 is where it began, actually, uh, uh, earlier on. When he had come back, he had been teaching in the synagogues in the the wider region, and everyone had praised him. So the the idea that um, he was being acclaimed, there were, if it was today, as the the series makes good use of, clips of what he was teaching would have been gone viral. 
there would have been that sort of movement, that sense of, okay, this is somebody to, to kind of have a look at and be interested in. And when he speaks in verse 22, we're told, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. He is impressive. Clearly, he is somebody people are drawn to. They will continue to be drawn to him. I was trying to find a way to illustrate this and think about how um, I might do it. And without, um, without trying to be in any way uh, political, um, I'm going to use this illustration anyway. There is, it's interesting at the moment. The Labour Party in the UK is currently having a discussion with itself. It's got to find a leader at some point. And if you have followed any of those conversations, you'll know that they are having a conversation about whether they need another Tony Blair-like figure. It's interesting to watch. It's kind of exercising uh, them. Uh, This is a picture from 1997 when he first came to power. People have recognised the fact that prior to that, they hadn't won any elections. They'd only lost them. They then won them with him, and then since then, they haven't won any elections. So the question is a valid one that they're having a discussion about. Do you need somebody like... Now, he has become quite a divisive figure in his own right. But he was good at communicating. He won elections. And so people are asking, do we need somebody who is going to draw people to them? It's somebody who is uh, impressive. And Jesus is, clearly he is good at what he does. He is impressive here. And people, Luke is pointing this out, people are drawn to him. They come looking for something that they know that they need in him. But verse 22 kind of then flips, because it's almost like saying, then they said... Uh, isn't this Joseph's son? So others are clearly less impressed. And they are angry at him saying uh, these words. Um, isn't this just Joseph's son? It kind of anchors around two particular accusations, if you like. And the first one is simply, who do you think you are? You imagine them there. It's somebody you know, you're kind of vaguely familiar with. Jesus has returned. But aren't you Jesus, Joseph's son? Look, to be honest, we do know who you are. Um, you're Jesus from down the road, you're Jenny from the block. We know who you are. Um, when, uh, this week I was speaking to an old university friend of mine, um, and uh, she was visiting, and I was, um, I'll let you into something, which is that when I was at university, um, I had a nickname that I was given by um, uh, friends uh, when I was at university, um, it's not the guy on the right, it's the guy on the left. I was nicknamed Lando, who's from a character from Star Wars. I think it was probably because he was the only ethnic minority in Star Wars at the time. <laughs> but it was the 90s, and it was a slightly different time, so, you know, go with it. Um, uh, but that's, I, I used to be known as Lando. Um, but, and you know that feeling if you go back to some old haunts that you have, or you go back to some old friends who knew you at a different time. And I was showing her the photos from a couple of weeks ago, um, the service that was here, and there was me in kind of crazy big robes, and there was the bishop, and there's all the stuff, and that sort of thing I was showing. And I'm thinking as I'm showing these photos, she's probably just looking at this kind of going, would you get over yourself? <laughs> what is this? You're just, is this just you, Lando? Why, why are you dressed like this? And you see that sense of, who do you think you are? This is just you, Jesus. You're jo- you know, the Spirit of the Lord is on you and you're good news for the poor. Yeah, you know. The second accusation, uh, and which is one that Jesus draws out, he, in verse 23, says to them, look, surely you'll quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. 
Um, it's not saying that, um, that he's in need of healing. It's more just kind of prove it. Look, if you're, so if you're, if you're a doctor, you'd know what to do. Um, just c- kind of show it, demonstrate it. And in particular, um, because there have been these rumors and what they've heard that he did in the wider region of Capernaum, he's saying, look, do here what you did there. We've heard about it. We'd like you to do it here now for us. Um, and Jesus' response to that is really interesting. They are getting angry at him, and he really stokes their anger. I don't know if that's what you expect from Jesus. He really goes um, for them. He says, I assure you, there were many widows in Israel uh, in Elijah's time. Uh, and then he, he talks about um, Elisha. What he does is he points back to a point in the Old Testament. There is a, um, a really good BBC Radio 4 show um, called The Long View, if ever you come across it. Um, Jonathan Friedland, um, what he does is he looks at a situation that's going on now and says, why don't we look at something in history and see what we can learn from that about now? So you take an issue, and then they'll, they'll, the show will be about, the radio show will be about something that's gone on maybe 100 years ago, 200 years ago. What is it we can learn from what's going on? Jesus does exactly that. He says, here now, let's rewind to the time of Elijah and Elisha and see what we can learn. And he stokes their anger because he is, he is saying to them, firstly, he's saying, I am the caliber of prophets like Elijah and Elisha. Now, Elijah and Elisha are Champions League prophets. They are up there in the Old Testament. And he's saying, I am like them, which is, you know, given they're wondering who he is, that's enough in itself. But he's also, he touches a raw nerve because he goes for a period in God's people's history, which is a real low. So when Elijah was around, the sky was shut for three and a half years. It was God's judgment on them. There was a severe famine. And he says Elijah wasn't sent to any of the widows who were in need in Israel. He sends him away to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, a Gentile. And he says Elisha, when there were lepers in the land, Elijah, Elisha doesn't go to any of them. He goes to a Syrian and heals him. So he's talking about a real low in God's people's history. When the homeland was rejected, God went elsewhere. And you see how he is kind of stoking their anger and taking them on as they question who he is. And so that is why, in verse 28, they are furious. And they drive him out of the town and they take him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Can you imagine this scenario? I imagine painted. A former mission partner has come back, tells us something, and then we all, in rage, drag them out and take them out into Platfields Park, where we try and find a hill, but there isn't really a hill. But you, know, you get what I mean? They are furious. I wonder, did you know they got this angry at Jesus this early in his career? We often think, don't we, you know, towards the end, by then, they were ready to kill him. I wonder if you knew that at the start of his career, they were ready to take him out and throw him off a cliff. 
This is the question that I think Luke puts to us and that we're going to be asking over these next few weeks as we look through. There is going to be more to come. We will see more of what he does, why people are drawn to him and amazed at him. We will see more of why people are, find him controversial. How do we respond to Jesus' words, to the claims that he makes about himself, about us, does he get under our skin? I wonder, you might be here this morning and, and perhaps just thinking through Christian things. You might be kind of you're not quite sure where you stand. Does he get under your skin? Are there things that irritate you about him? Or do you find yourself interested, drawn, intrigued, amazed even that somebody would claim these things? I wonder how we expect others to respond friends, family members, uh, colleagues? Do we imagine that he, you know, they're thinking to themselves, oh, he's just a, a lovely teacher. That's, you know, I don't really need to pay him much attention. Or has he got more to say to us than that? Does he have more to say to you and me than that? And I think Luke would say, and the way he's framing this opening is to say, don't be surprised that this is the question. How do we respond to Jesus' words? People will react very differently. This is his opening to Jesus' earthly ministry. People are going to react very differently. Some will see him as a threat to get rid of. Some will see him as a hope to look to. At the very end, um, there's an extraordinary moment. It's one that... um, wouldn't be out of place in the Netflix Messiah series. In fact, they do. there is a, a, a moment in it where um, something similar sort of happens. Um, it's not 100% clear. I think it is meant to be a miracle um, uh, of some kind. They have dragged him out. You imagine the rage and the anger. They've grabbed him. They've taken him up to the top of this cliff. They're going to throw him over. And then he walks through the crowd away from him then. It seems likely it is a a, a miracle. He just passes through them and goes on his way. And one of the things that series picks up is that you can't quite resist some sense that if he is from God, there must be more to him and he must be worth finding out about. A Guardian writer, um, Lucy Mangan, reviewed the, the Netflix show. And towards the end, she wrote, um, she was a very positive review, review and she wrote, the reason the, the series is compelling, she says, is a sign that we are hardwired for hope. The man standing in front of me promises to end all human suffering. And we're programmed deeply to seek answers and invest in those who purport to provide them. We're hardwired for hope. He's standing in front of me saying he will bring an end to human suffering, and we're programmed deeply to seek answers and invest in those who might provide them. It's compelling. I think it's a fascinating response to that, and as we go through, I think we'll see that same response in people as Luke presents them to Jesus. As we go through, I wonder what your response will be.
Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, some of us here may be those who haven't really looked at the person of Jesus for some time, even if we think we're familiar with him. Father, I pray you'd strike us afresh with who he really is and what his words really were. And as we look through this part of Luke's gospel, would we be compelled and drawn? Would you get under our skin where we need to? Would you challenge us with the controversial nature of him? Would you amaze us with the way people drew to him to be here, to hear him and be healed. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.